Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Good morning and welcome to The Breakfast Show. Well, it's not The Breakfast Show, it's Rock Pop Rambles, but it feels like it should be a breakfast show because it's just after 7am. How rock and roll's that? Up and up working. I know. How It's been a while since we've done a pyjama podcast, hey? I know. I know, right? I'm in um, blue pyjamas with little love hearts on that my parents bought me. They still think I'm aged eight, I think. Every Christmas, I get a new pair of um, what I think look like children's pyjamas. But, you know, they're pyjamas. What are you going to do? And I'm in a t-shirt that I wore to do an It's a Knockout style um, company sort of away day thing in the times when you could actually do things together. <laughs> well, it's going to come around soon, isn't it? We're going to be able to do stuff. I haven't had any coffee yet, I just realised. So this could be the same as the other night when I was complaining. Oh, it's too late at night. I can't speak to... It's too early in the morning. I haven't had coffee. I can't and speak. I'm dying. Maybe I just can't speak. I'm dying a little <laughs> bit. I don't ever do anything without coffee. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I might have to have a... When we put some music on, I might have to dash to the kitchen and get some rescue coffee. <laughs> How bad is that? Anyway, you haven't even introduced me. You're the host. What is going on? Oh, I've just forgotten who we are. I'm Angela <laughs> from the Bound Bug Eye and joining me today is Paula, also from the Bound Bug Eye. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> so it's all gone out the window because it's, you know, we've changed it up rather than late at night, it's early in the morning. I don't know who I am anymore. No coffee, no thoughts. Right, anyway, on with the show because I'm sure this is not what people want to listen to. Um, this is Rock Pop Rambles, your weekly music fix of stories from the world of rock and pop. And this week we're talking about feminist anthems. I was about to say icons, but I suppose the people that sing those songs are also icons. So not, not incorrect. Uh, we also have new music for you from um, Haddaby. Um, who else have we got? We've got Flinch and a band called Sun, Sun Charmer. So uh, two new ones there that we've not we've not played you before. So um, yeah, I'm excited to kind of hear what you think. So do email into us your thoughts on the new music, and if you've got any stories you want us to tell, the email address is rockpoprambles at gmail dot com. Right on with the show. Or actually, should we start off with some new music? I feel, I feel like listening to some music mainly because I want to go and get that coffee. Well, I feel like listening to some music because this track's bloody good. Okay, what what are we playing, first of all? So, first up, I have got a track from a band called Sun Charmer, and this is The Arizona Outlaws.
the Arizona Outlaws, they were formed on a lonely Valentine's Day, apparently, describing their music as being Quentin Tarantino-esque. And I think that's quite a fitting description. I mean, personally, I really like it. I was really happy when I saw that pop up in our inbox and I was like, let me get to a podcast where I can play this. And what do you know? I'm doing two on the bounce. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, no, I thought, I thought it was a really great song. Love the sort of big, fat, beefy guitars, really strong vocals. And the only thing I can describe the bass is like punch in the face bass really, isn't it? It's kind of just there pounding away. Um, it's catchy. I mean, it's great. Like yeah. the production, it's great. Yeah. The tune's great. What more can you say? It's catchy with a kind of a sinister edge to it. I felt which sinister edge, which I is like which that. I quite which I quite like that at the moment in music. So what I'm looking for a lot is just yeah, little bits a of sinister edge. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and uh, we've we've got a bit of that with the song from Haddaby, but I won't get into that just yet. Um, anyway, do you, I went first last time. Do you want to go first today? Yeah, why not? I mean, what can I say? How could we do feminist out- anthems without mentioning Bikini Kill? got a lot of time for that band they're featured a number of times in our podcast and uh yeah it's always a delight to talk about them so go okay so slightly reoccurring theme here i've never talked about them and i have to say that all of the opinions on this are my own i know that sounds like a little bit of a twitter (laughs) handle there um so they were born out of the riot girl scene of the 90s although to be fair to them although their zine was called riot girl they weren't sort of putting themselves out there as being the main sort of vocal voice of Riot well, Girl, if that makes Toby sense. Toby Vale from the band came up with the name, didn't didn't she, for Riot Girl, the term, I think. Yeah, I think, I think she yeah. did. And I think that's, um, it was, as I said, it's what their zine was called, but they were quite adamant that they weren't the only voice within the scene, if that makes sense. But yeah, they were a voice within it and they were basically um, kind of a platform for not 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 just a platform that's probably the wrong the wrong word to describe them but a way to kind of unite and inspire people to get up and do their own DIY thing and and to kind of make this movement happen but they weren't the only voice within it you're right yeah yeah uh, and although like they did publish the first like, kind of right girl manifesto within their zine but just to set the scene a little bit they were quoted as saying they described their early shows as going to war in some respects, quite often with men just going there to shout slurs at them, skinheads turning up with chains and that they were going to throw at the band. And also they received death threats to their home addresses, which I think is a little bit unnerving. I did not know this. I did not know that at all. That's, that's really, oh my God, carry on. Like, and within these death threats, people were saying they were going to stab them within the heart, which I think is pretty unbelievable when, I mean, let's be honest, they were a band who were not shy about calling out any kind of hecklers with it at their shows. And they were very much about, you know, kind of calling girls to the front and inviting them into what was sort of a male-dominated area of a mosh pit in the 90s at the time. And also probably true today. But still, it seems a little bit well, it's over the top. Well, it doesn't just seem a little bit. It's completely over the top and fucking out of order. Um, but th- this is the kind of backlash that you get when women stand up and actually have mm-hmm. a voice. But, um, you know, suddenly, you know, you see, you see the true colors of, of certain male individuals who basically have to then try to use violence to, to keep women quiet, you know, common, common sort of theme, um, that unfortunately is still, still running true today, like you say. 
I mean, coupled with that, like they were, they were sort of totally kicking back against the establishment, but they also just completely shunned mainstream media that they felt didn't either A, represent them or B, sort of willfully misrepresented them, if that's the right way to phrase it. Yeah. Misquoting them and taking their ideas and their, their thoughts completely out of context preferring like in, to do things more so on their own terms yeah. like using things like DIY zines that were around at the time to kind of get their story across and you know like as they felt the mainstream media was such a patriarchal sort of embodiment of the establishment mm-hmm. that they just preferred to use DIY scenes to kind of call out the patriarchy yeah, no, no, no. I mean, I, I think, you know, Kathleen Hanna and the rest of the band were incredibly mm. strong, strong people, not just from being, from being women and being strong women, but just in the music industry in general. I think it's, it's incredibly, um, impressive to kind of shun the model that's, that's there of the things that we're supposed to kind of kiss ass to, to get coverage and to be successful as artists. And they just paved their own way. Um, which is something that, you know, I just, are they in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Cause they fucking well should be. Sorry about my language, but I just, yeah. I'm not sure about that, to be honest. But I think like what you're saying is really interesting. It's like, you know, they were just trying to go against the sort of, ideas of like women being like sort of super hysterical and super emotional yeah no exactly they paved they absolutely paved their own way they didn't give a shit about the system that was was there for music and the roots that we're supposed to go and the things we're supposed to care about to to be successful as bands and they 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 had something to say and they said it their way and they did it their way. And uh, they were, yeah. yeah, totally. And they were sort of screaming the rage of millions of young women that had experienced everything that is on their records, like from like just the day-to-day tribulations of being a female in this world, sexual abuse, violence. Yeah. They just went for it. And they con- like completely refused to sort of conform to this idea of a, less than woman or a sort of super hysterical emotional woman yeah no completely and I think the point that they did it without the mainstream media is super important because for them it was just a total this is this this is a way of looking at the world and we do not subscribe to it so onto the track so from their self-released debut album my absolute favorite track is feels blind good choice good choice and not not the obvious one because oh and you mentioned um Bikini Kill, and we're obviously going to be talking about a track. Mm-hmm. I really thought you were going to pick Rebel Girl, which which is a which really? is a great song, which is a really great song. But I just thought it's the obvious one, isn't it? So I'm really pleased that you haven't picked the obvious the obvious choice. Oh, bless so, your bless your you've, heart. you've made my day. <laughs> anyway, so on with the track. Feels Blind is the third track on the album with lyrics that just sum up their rage for me at society's patriarchal view of women. I mean, for me, like the, it's the lead into the chorus when it's like, what have you taught me? Nothing. Look at what you taught me. Your world has taught me nothing. I mean, for me, like in that, in that sentence, Kathleen Hannah's just describing of how like patriarchal systems have dictated her world and taught her to do nothing else, but behave in the way that she's supposed to behave. Yeah. I think it's brilliant. Like, I mean, I've, I'm sure I read at some point somewhere and I cannot find any sort of reference to this, that it was her talking about abuse she'd suffered at the hands of a family friend 
Yeah. However, like for me, when she's screaming that, that is just every little bit of rage that you want to throw back against the world yeah. that comes out in her voice. Yeah. But it's like a collective rage. Like you were saying, it's, it's the voices of so mm. many women that, that just come through, um, there. They're kind of sort of, cause one of the things that, um, Kathleen Hannah did was she created these right girl meetings, didn't she? Where, where she people did, yeah. would sit together and they would share their stories with each, with each other and talk about these things. Cause you know, one of the things that's a problem in society is we're not supposed to talk about these things. Well, I say we're not supposed to quote unquote, you know, it makes people feel uncomfortable. They don't want to hear it. Well, you do need to hear it because this stuff is happening and, and Riot Girl and Bikini Kill really gave a voice to those women and made them feel heard in some way, shape or form. But I just, for me, it's not even just the lyrics to this song, it's the music yeah. as well. It's like, it all just kind of like wells up. It starts with a bass and it's just, it's sad. And it's, it's like, it's disappointment musically yeah. for me. And then it, but by the time you get to the first chorus, it's just like, you know what? This is sad, but I'm angry and fuck you. Yeah. Like, fuck you. Yeah. No, they're, they're just musically so talented. And I just really hope um, that the gig that we've got tickets to, where they're playing the Roundhouse, I hope, hope it goes ahead in June. Please go ahead. <laughs> please. my little fingers crossed. <laughs> but like, to be honest, what's in terms of what's happened recently, like Sarah Everand and everything like yeah. that, that was the first song I wanted to listen to after yeah. that because that is just like a, this world is shit and fuck you. But there's a little bit of glimmer of hope in it as well. Like for me, it's just like, it's a massive, it's almost like indignation. It's like, fuck you. I love it. I absolutely love it. And for me, I think that if I was going to pick one feminist anthem, that is it. Well, you picked it. There I you did. go. <laughs> No, it's, it's it's a really great song, and it's it's interesting, but not surprising that you you mentioned Sarah Everard. I mean, I think that's been on everyone's minds. I mean, mm. just from the, the facts that you know she could have been because one of the things you know, someone asked me, you know, women well, not women get murdered every day, but women do get murdered. Why has this case stood out um, more more so than than some of those others? And I, I think it is because the facts. And, you know, loads of people said this across social media that she did everything that we're supposed to do to feel safe. And, mm -hmm. and actually, it's all made us feel a little bit sick that, you know, subconsciously, we do these things. We don't even really think about it. It's ingrained to us that, you know, you cross over the street if there's someone you feel a bit weird about late at night, you know, have your phone in your hand, your keys as a weapon and, and all of those things. And you don't really think about it. You just do it. And you just think, why the fuck are why? we doing it? Why should we have to do this? Um, but anyway, I think rather than me go, I'll save that rant for a bit later because I can feel a big one coming on. So uh, <laughs> carry on, Pooh. Sorry. So I'm going to talk about something that's a little bit, I can't really say it's controversial, to be honest. <laughs> you want <laughs> it to be, but it questionable. isn't. Oh, okay. Because when we started talking about feminist anthems and feminism in music, there were a big group that sprung to mind for me. So we're going to go from 1991 and jump forward five years to 1996 when five women answered an open call to auditions that, were, that was an advert in the stage. 
Can you guess who oh, I'm talking about? I know who this is because Kerry talked about them a little bit. So I know about this. This is the Spice Girls, isn't it? Oh, I want a bloody rehash, aren't I here? We've done Bikini Kill. We've done the Spice Girls. No, no, no. I but you've talked, you're talking about different angles of things. But yeah, no, ab- absolutely. They're, they're fucking feminist icons. I keep using the F word this morning. What's going on with me? I'm not even drinking. But anyway, carry on. And it's not even 8am. <laughs> No, I know. The F word's banned before 8am. Watershed, watershed. Anyway, so they were put together by a father-son duo, which was something that I didn't know. And as strange as it sounds today, an all-girl group in the mid-90s was an untested concept. They were a little bit worried about how to market this. An all-girl group in the was, was untested? There'd been other yeah. all-girl all no. groups before. No? Of course, but in terms of what they were trying to produce... Right. The concept was untested. Like we didn't have, let's say, All Saints, the Pussycat Dolls. True, true. This sort of kind of girl gang, if that's what you want to call it, idea. It was like a completely, and there was a little bit of, you know, let's say, worry about how to do their debut single and also the debut as the band itself. But it seems that in choosing Wannabe, they kind of hit the jackpot. I mean, Something I didn't realise, this song was recorded in one hour. What? One hour? Alleg- allegedly, or at least in one day. I don't, I, I th- yeah, one day, and then mixed, and then go back and do tweaks. Like, all of these stories where it's like 15 minutes written in like 20 seconds, you know, it's just like, oh, no, it was, okay, okay, the concept. Let's believe mm. in the legend. It was recorded mm. in one hour. Okay, yeah. And one of the members only sings backing vocals and that. Who do you think that is? Posh Spice. Oh, did Kerry cover that? No, but wasn't that the thing that it was just like she she pouts and she doesn't sing a great, like she never kind of is up front singing loads of stuff. I think that was a thing at the time. Was it? I think so, yeah. That's that's where I remember it from. Oh, see, I got a little bit indignant on her part there. I was like, <laughs> they do her disservice. No, no, I don't think it's disservice. It was like everyone had, the, you know, they all had their characters and uh, to to play and she she didn't really, she wasn't singing lead on anything. Or did she sing lead ever? I think she did later on, didn't she? Like have a little bit. But in that I song, think- she didn't. In that song, she just did the backing vocal. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, all right, there we go. We know that, right. Listen, this is feminist anthems. Let's build women up, not slate them. I'm not slating them. I'm just saying, did she sit? There's nothing wrong with being a backing singer. There's nothing wrong with with that at all. I'm, I'm literally saying, as in, did she sing lead later on? I'm not I'm not sure. But on that track, I know that she did just did the backing vocals. On that track, she sang the backing vocals. But nevertheless, that track chopped Top to the chart for seven weeks straight, which was the second longest for an all-female group ever. Who do you think was the longest? Girl group? Mm. Um, I think it would have been the Supremes. Wrong. Oh. Uh, I don't know. Who? Shakespeare's sister. <gasps> Amazing. They're a duo. They're not a girl group. Yeah, oh. trick question. I, would, I wouldn't have got it. I wouldn't have got it anyway. Uh, it won an Ivor Novello Award for the best British single and was Spotify's most streamed 1990s song of 2020. Bloody hell. So it was definitely successful, but was it a feminist anthem? Um, 
was it a feminist anthem? Um, I think so. I wouldn't have. It wouldn't have been the first song that came to mind as being a feminist um, anthem. But I suppose it is. I mean, like, look. You know, it's been held as like an iconic girl power anthem. It's got a massive rallying cry of girls come first, you know, female solidarity. And about your friends being more important than any kind of sort of lover you're ever going to have. And, you know, I've got some quotes here. Like my generation was told we could have everything we could ever wish for. We were living the 90s dream, but it was also a time of hypersexualization and objectification of women. And... Um, that in this time that, you know, there was like a massive rise in dominance of girls' mags. And people, are, like some quotes that I have here saying that, you know, Spice Girls kind of helped, helped us to reject that by saying, you know what, we're going to do this on our own terms. Yeah, no, exactly. Like, you might objectify us as being like X, Y, and Z, but this is who we are. And Emma Bunton was quoted as saying, just because you're wearing you're wearing a short skirt and you've got a pair of tits, it doesn't mean you can't do or say anything that you want to say or do, which I think kind of sort of sums it up brilliantly for me. I mean, and I think in terms of what they did was they sort of, they stripped feminism back to maybe quite a easy to digest and easy to manage and easy to market, if I want to be honest, like kind of way of looking at it. But what they did was made it super accessible to a young and new audience, which was something that wasn't being done at the time. Like there weren't huge amounts of women standing up saying like, this is what we're doing. This is what we want to do. And this is how we want to say it. And it, it maybe it did come across as dumbing feminism down a little bit, but it made it accessible and fun to a young generation, which I think was super important. Yeah, I mean, as I said, it's not the first song that comes to mind when I think of feminist anthems, but I can see how, um, you know, it's it's a gentle approach with the message that's there. It's showing women together. It's showing women taking control of their careers, um, regardless of which song they're singing. Um, and yeah, I think I think they're absolute legends. And yes, it deserved to be mentioned. Well done. For for putting that one in, is there anything any other facts about it, or is that? Are there any other facts about it? Um, what else did I discover researching this? Uh, how many countries do you think it was number one in? Twenty six, thirty seven. <gasps> oh, that's a good one. There you go. That's my fun <laughs> facts about wannabe for you. Oh, well done. No, I'm I'm gonna have to listen to that today it's quite a fun song I do remember at the time not not particularly being a fan because I was just totally into like dark grungy metal music but um I can look back with appreciation of jogging bottoms and high kicks now (laughs) I just I just just remember Sporty Spice doing that that um big kick thinking that is impressive but I don't like jogging bottoms but anyway um just a big kick you don't remember her backflip on a table no oh my god this is- <laughs> okay after this go and watch the wannabe video for jesus christ woman she can bust some moves seriously she's she's dead impressive for, for a number of reasons not just because she can do a high kick um should we listen to some new music 
Go on then. What have you got for me? Go on, go on. Right, so um, so hot off the press, newly discovered this week, is Flinch, which is a project by Beth Black. And uh, yeah, we got chatting this week and she has a album on its way, so you can pre-order that now. But I'm going to play you a track from that album, which is a single called Escape from Rupture Farms. Enjoy. <laughs>
so that was Flinch. But like I say, I just recently discovered um, Beth's music this week. We're actually in this kind of musicians chat group and I asked her to send me this to play on the show because I thought it was bloody great. Um, but I'm just going to read a little bit from her press release because we haven't featured um, Flinch before. So a bit of background is always, always good. Despite her relatively tender age, Beth Black is a veteran of DIY music in Glasgow and further afield. For a new release, Enough is Enough, under the monkey of Flinch, Black has dialed down much of the distortion from her other outfits. And despite the name, it's an unflinching portrait of a strange year. So if you want to check out some of the other stuff she's done, it's Slow Light, Benjamin Blue, Grave Matthews, 10am. Um, really, really talented person. And I just, um, with with that song, I just love the kind of guitar, the sort of... Um, Mm-hmm. acoustic guitar tones are a bit scratchy that come in with that and and again there's just there's just um the textures that sort of weave in that song it's it's beautifully written but no seriously what can you say super talented yeah no 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 exactly and and, and catchy and it's just a little bit of an emotional roller coaster with that with that song I feel as well like there's lots there's lots kind of to to grab onto with with that so um I'm really looking forward to hearing more from from Beth Black on that one as well okay on with the show we're talking about um feminist anthems and uh I you know th- there's there's a long list of them so many fantastic songs. We could be here for a year and a day. <laughs> we could we could be here all, all I was about to say all night, but it's morning. So seeing we're doing feminist anthems, I thought, you know, you can't do a show like that without featuring the Queen of Soul, Aretha Franklin, respect. It it's the ultimate feminist anthem. I just I really do believe it is. And did you know? There's two versions of this song that have been released. No. You, you will have you will have heard them. They're they're kind of different, think back to the sixties. But anyway, I'm I'm sure there's been a number of cover versions mm-hmm. of it as well. So people are going, There's been loads of releases, but I'm talking about when it first came out, the original version and then the cover version that came a couple of years later anyway. Um so, yeah, so the t- the, those two versions were released in the 60s and they were significantly different musically and have a few changes to the lyrics, which gave a sort of different flavour to the stories mm-hmm. being told, which I think is really clever. I'm and trying to it think wasn't- of, who was the second one? I'm going to come into it now. But, um, but yeah, because the thing is, when I, when I looked this up, I just thought, oh, yeah, there was another version. I wasn't sure who'd, who'd done it first, but they are quite different. So, you know... I, I forgive you all if you have no idea what the fuck I'm talking about. Um, anyway, the f- song was first released by Otis Redding <gasps> in 1965. Yes. And later by Aretha in 1967. Um, and it was first written as a ballad, but no one actually knows who wrote the original version. Really? This happened a lot back then. How, how can no one know who wrote that? Who wrote that song? Because that person must be due so much in bloody royalties. I know, right? Um, but what we do know is that it was brought to Otis Redding by Speedo Sims, who himself had intended to use it with his band. 
um, which was called The Singing Demons, um, which I totally want to check out a band that's called The Singing Demons from the 60s. Sinister note. <laughs> well, I just, just want this. It sounds like a metal band, but I just can't imagine there being a metal band in the 60s. But anyway, the, the song wasn't quite working for The Singing Demons. So Speedo Sims gave it to Otis Redding and Otis listened to it and he decided to sing it himself, but before, you know, but not before he made some changes to it. So he re- rewrote the lyrics, sped up the tempo, and his version is a plea from a desperate man who will give his woman anything she wants as long as he gets his due in respect for bringing home the money. See, like, when I listen to that song and I compare it to the Aretha Franklin version, it seems like a little bit more... Is sinister the right word? Or are we just on this vibe today? We're just on on this on this vibe. Well, it's just, it's just stereotypical kind of... I find it a bit should unnerving. Be, well, it's women should be at home and, you know, I really love you, but, you know, you need to respect me because mm-hmm. I'm the one bringing home the bread, you know. Um, but I guess I'm also listening to it, like, through today's lens if that makes sense but so you should but so you should because it's exactly <laughs> what it is and when, anyway, I listen, when I listen to it I'm just like what the AF but there were so many songs like that I mean what who's that song young girl get out of my mind my love for you is way out of line better run girl you're much too young girl if that is not an anthem for fucking paedophiles I don't know what is <laughs> right but that is that song is wrong so wrong and the fact that that was accepted sorry you can tell that I'm just yeah I feel angry this morning I've woken up angry anyway in 1967 a new version was crafted for the song um Aretha's version is a declaration from a strong confident independent woman telling her man that she does everything he wants and doesn't see why he disrespects her um according to her she demands from him is nothing short of respect mm-hmm. um Aretha's version went on to become one of the most famous female empowerment anthems of all time in her 1998 autobiography titled Aretha from these roots the queen of soul um she said the lyrics of respect speak to anyone who feels un- unappreciated she also talked about how the song went on to become a battle cry for the civil rights movement in the United States. Yeah. I mean, the way that it's sung, the music that's there, um, it's, it's, it's just got these real strong kind of vocal lines in there. And then the sort of groove of the music and the, you know, the brass instruments, the way they kind of just slide in. Everything in that song just feels very powerful. It's super emotive. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, it's an angry song. And damn right, it's an angry song. Oh. The, it, it, what you want, baby, I got it. What you need. It's basically saying, I've got everything you need, but you know what? You don't deserve me unless you're going to give me some respect. It's, it's a battle cry. She says it herself. It's a battle cry. And the way that she sings it, delivers those lines, is absolute, you know, demanding respect. There's there's nothing gentle about that song, and and that's that's the point of it. That's you know the whole point. You're right. <laughs> if you think <laughs> about it, it's it is. So the song was released in April 1967, and in July that year, in her hometown of Detroit, there was a volcanic race riot that left neighborhoods in flames and 43 people dead. That summer, the song not only became a feminist anthem, but it was also a shout for hope. It was a demand for respect. It was defiant, and it became a Black Power anthem. So yeah, uh, I think I think what it, many many people who are marginalised in society 
this song just speaks to you. It just says mm-hmm. it plain and simple, doesn't it? Respect, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so she came up with the arrangement, added um, the line socket to me, which at the time some people said, is that um, sexual? It really wasn't a sexual line at all. She played the piano on the track as well. I didn't and know her, that. Yeah, yeah, that is badass. Um, yeah. And she arranged uh, it all herself. Yeah, yeah, she did. She did. So this, this is the thing. This the Queen of Soul, and just, just, yeah, that's that's the thing. A lot of people don't know about this um, at all. And her sister Carolyn sang sort of backup vocals on the track and on on the album, but she also helped to work on the song. Many believe that Aretha was drawing on her own abusive marriage at the time for inspiration, which, you know, I think makes a lot of, lot of sense. And, and that kind of comes through in a, in a lot of her, in a lot of her music. And I know certainly, um, when she was recording Do Right, um, her and her husband had some horrendous fights with her having to just leave the stu- leave the recording session mm-hmm. um, and, and saying she's not coming back. You know, so it, it didn't seem like a very happy place to be. Um, among the changes the sisters made were spelling out the word respect because they wanted it to be literally spelled out to people. In your you know, face. I'm going to make this very simple for you. This is what I want. And so, and I just think that's a really clever mm-hmm. thing that they did with that. And I believe it's one of the first times that actually happened in music with words being spelled out apart from like sort of children's songs. Really? Um, yeah. That yeah. I did not know. I mean, you, you just take that song as such a given, right? <laughs> yeah, no, I know. And I think, I think that's, that's, that's one of the, you know, very creative and powerful things with it. When you think about in children's songs, you know, spelling things that it's like, you know, I'm going to make this as simple as simple is for children until you bloody well understand. I'll spell it out for you. And I just think that's, it's just a very clever thing. And now to I'm going to make it simple as simple as for adults too. <laughs> Exactly. Well, that's what I mean. That's what I meant by that. But um, a few famous phrases were created from this song mm-hmm. um, as well. So in the second verse, Franklin proclaims to her man that she's about to give him all her money and that it's all she's asking for him is to give her propers, right, when he gets home. So I just want you to give propers when you get home. The term has evolved into props. So to give someone props, mm-hmm. which is commonly used in hip hop as a context of sort of saying respect, isn't it? That's give really someone cool. their props. I never knew that. So it came from came from Aretha Franklin. I think that's brilliant. And then taking the line take care TCB, which often people think that she's saying um TCP. Um she's not saying that. It's, it's TCB, which means taking care of business. Um and Elvis Presley appropriated the phrase a few years later, using it on jewellery and calling his band the the TCB band. Seriously? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, so Franklin passed away in 2018 due to complications from pancre- pancreatic, sorry, cancer. Um, the relevance of her song, though, lives on. And so why is this song so important? Um, I think the reason why, I mean, it's a great song anyway, Forget any kind of feminist anthem about it. It is an incredible song, mm-hmm. but the, the but it has stood the test of time because it is a feminist anthem. It's got a very direct message, respect, um, and like I say, don't understand it, mate, and I spell it out for you. And it's it's still just as relevant today as it was back then. And I think that's all we ever want is just to have respect. 
That was brilliant. I never knew all that stuff about respect. I, 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 just, I was reading so much about Aretha Franklin. I just want to, to do a show on her because she's just so fascinating, so, so intelligent, so creative, an absolute genius. And forward um, thinking. Yeah, there's, there's a documentary um, coming out on Netflix about Aretha Franklin soon, I heard. But apparently her family um, did not sign off on it and disapprove of the content. So how controversial accurate. Yeah, you know, you really think is it is it because it portrays them badly or is it because there's a lot of stuff that's just made up in it? I, I do worry sometimes about these documentaries. How I also think sometimes maybe are. it's stuff that maybe she didn't really want in the public domain. Well, and her exactly. voice is the most important when it comes down to it, right? Of course, of course. Um, so my next song, which I'm going to talk about, is Taylor Swift, The Man. And I think Taylor Swift is fucking brilliant, right? <laughs> Just nothing short of brilliant. The smarts behind, like musically, I don't. I think people would be surprised that I like Taylor Swift, but I just think she's very clever mm-hmm. with the messaging within her her lyrics, in everything she does visually, and the fact she's put up with a lot of shit and is standing strong. Right, I just think she's to be admired for so many, so many things. Completely agree, and I think people like when I was talking about the Spice Girls, people just write off pop music as being kind of irrelevant and with no message or meaning behind it. But pop for me is awesome because that's how you get a message out there to the masses. Yeah. No, I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more pop music. Well, not not in all cases. I mean, Bikini Kill were not a pop band and they got the message. I was in no way calling Bikini Kill a pop band. (laughs) I think we can all agree um, on that. But there's a lot of power from writing a fantastic pop song and getting a message that's important in there. And it's happened so many times. I don't know why anyone puts slags off pop music. I think that people more the throwaway pop songs, but I don't mind them either. Everyone needs a bit of cheese every now and then. Um, anyway, so the song is from Taylor Swift's seventh studio album called Lover, which was released in 2019 with The Man following in January 2020. The year of the shit storm. <laughs> As it will forever um, be known. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, uh, yeah, so it's got quite a new one still. So it's a kind of synth pop, electro pop record, I suppose you could say. That's what she sort of does. Mm-hmm. Um, in the song, in the song, even the swan, in the swan and the song, um, she imagines what life would be like if she were an incredibly wealthy white man instead of an incredibly wealthy white woman. She takes aim at sort of male double standards and some famous men too, um, which I'll come on to in just a minute. Slander. Yeah. But uh, the the makeup in the video is incredible where she turns herself into a man. It's Mm -hmm. fucking brilliant. So the official music video for The Man, which which Taylor Swift actually directed herself, and that was her debut as a director, and it's a great video. Um, that I didn't know. Yeah, yeah. So she directed it, and she sort of creates this male alter ego called Tyler Swift, played by, obviously, Taylor Swift. Um, Cunning. <laughs> the the video presents sort of several prevalent examples of sexist double standards mm-hmm. in society. There's objectification of women and sexualization of women and this sort of toxic masculinity that, that people kind of 
cringingly look up to still in society. It's it's horrible. It's horrible. Um, as I mentioned before, there's some shots of people in this video and a few when I say shots, as in like taking aim at some some guys in this. Um, but there's also a few Easter eggs in in the video. So hidden messages, which you know that I love that stuff. Yes. Um, yeah. So the number 13, right, this is her lucky number. And apparently, if you add all the numbers together from the release date, ignoring the zeros, you get the number 13. So the song was released on the 27th of the 2nd, 20, right? Or the other, or the second to the twenty seventh, twenty if you're American, dates mm-hmm. in different order. But yes, yeah, so if you add individual numbers together, it's the number thirteen. I was like, ooh, okay, all right, fair enough. Coincidence? Ah, maybe. Uh, the number thirteen apparently appears throughout the video. Now I watched this um, a few times, mm-hmm. and I only noticed two occasions, but I'm sure there's more um, because I'm not the sharpest tool in the toolbox for things like this so, so please yeah. eagle-eyed listeners let us know but what, so what i found was um there's 13th street station mm-hmm. so the sign which is in the station he in the station and then there's a section where um tyler swift is is older and marrying like a really super young girl but it says like 58 years later and if you add five and eight together what do you get paula Oh, that's a tenuous link. What do you get? What do you <laughs> get? You do. Yeah. So that's, that's the two that I found, but that, that is, it's actually known. She has put 13 throughout, throughout, um, there. And apparently she writes on her arm or something somewhere, like before she goes on stage, she always writes the number 13 because it just gives her luck. I don't know if that's true or if I've misremembered something that I read. But uh, let's let's just take it as truth for now. This is a rambles for sure. Exactly, exactly. Everything we sell in here is true, <laughs> right? Um, there's more than a little stylistic similarity between Swift's video and The Wolf of Wall Street, the film that um, Leonardo DiCaprio yeah. um, starred in as the corrupt kind of New York stockbroker who they goes to prison for fraud or whatever. So this is a kind of she she kind of takes a shot at Leonardo because he's kind of and the, and this and this is um coming from someone who is often attacked in the media mm-hmm. like Taylor Swift is often attacked in the media whatever she does she's you know someone's good. exactly exactly so this looks at sort of you know so Leonardo DiCaprio has a habit of like partying on yachts with supermodels mm-hmm. like he goes on these parties with just him and all of these women right sinister um, <laughs> and nobody bats an eyelid at this shit but yet Taylor Swift um is is constantly criticised for mm-hmm. her dating history. Whatever she, do, you know that that's news. But him doing that is it's anyway. She cannot do um, right for doing wrong, right? <laughs> she referenced this in the lyrics. Um, they would toast me. Oh, let the players play. I'd be just like Leo. <laughs> so she, you know, she she's very off. You know, she blatantly says this stuff. She's not hiding mm-hmm. behind anything here. And, and why on the should subway, she? No, exactly, exactly. On the subway, um, Tyler, the man, he does this kind of man spreading while sitting on the train, while reading the newspaper. Classic. Um, we've, we've all seen this guy. Like, guys out there, if you're listening to this, you don't need to sit with your legs spread like that. You just don't. 
you know, on the headlines of the paper, there's what man won the year in celebrity dating, the year's most electable CEOs, reads another headline. The paper's third headline is sort of a little bit blurry, but if you kind of zoom in on it, it says, um, men love sports. It's like a headline. So it's like these kind of meaningless things mm-hmm. that, that men are kind of praised for. And then the meaningless headlines for women is all about, you know, such and such was spotted on holiday and they've got chin hair. You know, it's like, it's always something horrible about a woman, yep. really. Um, so yeah. So like I say, she's been dragged through the, the media with this. And so it was a bit of a kind of, um, swipe at, at that. Uh, really. In the scene where um, Tyler is urinating against the wall, you can see titles of Taylor Swift's albums spray painted on the wall. Um, these were the albums before mm-hmm. before Lover, right? So, um, and there's a the poster that reads um, Missing, if found, return to Taylor Swift. This is a reference to the label owner, Scooter Braun. Um, Braun acquired Swift's back catalogue in 2019 and has prevented her from performing her own music. So, you know, all the albums and stuff. And there's also a poster saying, um, that's outrageous on the wall saying no scooters allowed or something like that. So, um, it lay in the video. Um, at the end of the video, um, Swift plays the director. So it's like the end of the film and the actor who's Tyler, um, comes up to the director. So it's Taylor and Taylor basically, and asks, you know, how did I do? And she replies, pretty good, but you could try to be sexier, maybe more likable this time. Um, she then praises the ball girl who basically didn't really do anything but sit there throughout the whole <coughs> thing. And it was like, you're brilliant, you're brilliant. Um, yeah, so it's, it's kind of a reminder that men often get praised by other men at work um, and haven't really done anything while women are kind of quite often criticised and overlooked. There's there's also a scene, I don't have a great deal mm-hmm. more to say on this one, but um, there's also a scene which I love, which is my favourite. Um there's this scene in the park where um, Taylor, t- Tyler, sorry, is sat next to a little girl and um, he just sort of pats her on the head. He doesn't really do anything, but there's like a sign saying world's best dad. And basically um, he gets absolutely praised by everyone around him. Isn't he great? He's in the park with his kid. It's amazing. You know, and, and I, I do often find that, that, you know, even with friends, it was like, you know, X, Y, Z partner. Oh, well, you know, he looked after the kids this weekend. It's like, oh, Cookies for him, Billy, well done. Well done. You do that every weekend. Like, what the fuck? Um, but yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah. Uh, in short, there are loads of hidden messages and some fucking glaringly in your face statements in this video and in the lyrics of the song. Um, Swift is unafraid of calling out sexism, double standards and inequality. She masterminds music with political statements delivered with wit. Taylor Swift, I salute you. And that is why the media don't like her because she calls out um, wrongness is what I'm going to say. Wrongness. I'm going to say bullshit. Yes. Well, exactly. She calls, she calls, she calls out the shit that's out there. That shit stinks. And let's stop pretending that it doesn't because it does. Um, but yeah, so those, those were my, my two, my two stories about that. I think we've come up with some unsurprising, not unsurprising, surprising rather 
choices. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I was I was really excited to do today's show, and uh, I don't know. I just I've just been reading. I've just been feeling quite angry about. I, th- I think this is a Sarah Everard thing because you. It takes for something like this awful to happen. For, I'm not saying that we all sort of were just you know wandering around oblivious to things, but it just reminds you of 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 how fucked the situation is. I mean, mm. so okay, so Boris Johnson has announced we're going to put more CCTV in and have police outside like nightclubs or whatever. And it's like, well, oh no, they're putting undercover police inside nightclubs because that's going to make us feel safer. Fucking hell. Well, you, well, you know what? The, the fact, the thing is, okay, I'm not against CCTV. Thank you. Yes, great. But you know what? Rather than just capturing the fucking crimes as they happen, because clearly... People do, they don't give a shit about CCTV there. That's mm. not, the, that's not going to stop people from committing crimes. That just, that just means, oh, well, we, we might be able to catch them. What I would really like is what is perceived as lesser unimportant crimes to be taken a lot more seriously. Can we not go back to the start and look at, um, behaviors and, and see where we could have intervened? sooner to stop something worse happening i mean because unfortunately and sadly this is such a common thing it's 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 a this is where i'm gonna go off on a rant it's it's a series of escalation where people start off of course it is i mean even okay right the the fucking bastard um ted bundy for example absolute asshole but he was allowed to keep offending and he he even he said that he said they could have caught me sooner. He started off as like a peeping Tom and, and kind of escalated. Um, but none of his early crimes were really taken seriously. And he says you need to, t- he was saying you need to take this stuff more seriously because you just allow people to use it as a training ground. Essential words to those effect. Not that mm-hmm. I'm giving any kind of kudos to Ted Bundy. He's stating the bloody obvious, but this is coming from a serial killer. Today, you know, you can get 10 years for vandalizing a statue and five years for rape. Yeah. That says all you need to know of what is wrong with our, our legal system. Yeah, but it's not for me. It's not even starting with the pun- well. The punishment needs to obviously be more fitting towards the crime. But you need to start with education of society. It's not just about waiting till it gets to the point. No, 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 no. Exactly where you are there. I think it's just the general sort of like hate crime around women that needs to be taken more seriously. I mean, like, how can we live in a society where it's like, what's a conviction rate for rape? It's like 1.4% or something it's like ridiculous. that. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Well, 20% of women have experienced some type of sexual assault, um, you know, I'd, since, I'd the, age of, that, since the age of 16. I mean, that was a survey that was done by YouGov um, in 2017. Um, but among women aged 18 to 24, 86% have said they've been sexually harassed in public spaces. Um, and 52% of women have experienced sexual harassment at work um, with one in five basically saying that, um, no, sorry, yeah, one in five basically saying after they reported it, they were treated worse as a result. Uh, and like, how, how do you move things forward with that? Well, exactly. That's- and this is, this is why women are frightened to, um, you know, uh, are reluctant to, to report these things because it's like if people aren't going to take them seriously 
or if it's if it's going to have worse repercussions for them, it's kind of not an incentive for women to to come forward. And women absolutely do mm. need to come forward because if you don't, you know, people can't just be found guilty on hearsay. Action needs to be taken. Um, it's, yeah, but there needs to be a safe space where women feel no, comfortable but that's, that's to what do that's, so. But exactly, that's what I'm saying. We've got to work on making it safer um, and and more supportive for women to come forward in those instances and and absolutely listen to them and take what they say seriously and the crimes committed against against women need to be taken more seriously something needs to change and maybe we are on the cusp of that of that change but sadly i feel that we're probably not and i think it's a long time coming and I think, okay, so I think on that note, before I go any further on a rant, thank you so much, everyone who is listening to the show. We really, really do appreciate it. If you've got a song or a story that you want to feature, please do email us at rockpoprambles at gmail.com or check us out on Twitter at Bug Eye Band or on Instagram and Facebook as Bug Eye Music. Um, I don't think I've got any other housekeeping. Oh, housekeeping. Someone did send in a correction. Um, I do know it's infamous and not, I think I said something like unfamous or something like that when I was reading <laughs> something out of the last ep- episode. But thank you. I don't mind being corrected. Send in your comments. <laughs> I also have a correction for myself. Yep. I have since re-Googled how long a domestic dove can live for and it is in fact <laughs> 20 to 25 years. <laughs> Well done, Paula. So not three years. So it probably was the real dove that Prince had. The Gucci dove. Potentially, yes. The Gucci dove. Okay, cool. All right, well, we've... Sorry, go for it. No, I was going to say, should we play it out with some music, maybe? Yeah, we've got one last song to play, and it's by um, a band we've featured previously, um, once known as The Foundlings, but now known as Haddaby. Uh, their album, their debut album, is out on the 30th of April this year called mm-hmm. Another Life. And this is a single from that album called Wait in the Dark. Um, because we're just going to play out the song, I just want to talk a little bit about it. I think what you can expect is beautiful chaos with this song. It's intense. It's showing a darker side of the band. I absolutely love it. Go pre-order the album. I think they've got some great Kraken vinyl out there as well. So go and buy some of that, um, which I think is available via their Facebook page and Bandcamp. So check it out. This is Wait in the Dark. (laughs) 